So as you know, ah, look like magic. As you know, we're in the middle of our Mission Possible series. And part of the aim of this series was um, for us on the, the preparation team was to present global mission reaching all peoples of the earth in such a way that we would all feel like it's possible <laughs> rather than feeling like an impossible task. So uh, I'd love to know how that's going. You can talk to me afterwards. Do you feel that we're managing to encourage you that it is a mission possible rather than a mission impossible? Um, definitely come and talk to me afterwards. This is where we're up to. Ah. So we've had a few weeks and also Ken Benjamin from the Baptist Union spoke to us last week also about mission, which I thought was really interesting. And here we've got to the point where we're talking about God's journey across cultures. We've heard about Abraham and how God called him out of um, out of a polytheistic environment worshipping many idols and he said, I'm your God and I'm going to bless you so that you can bless all nations of the world through you and your descendants, at which point Abraham said, oh, I haven't got any. But we know the story. We know that God keeps his word. He's able. He gave Abraham a son. We tra tracked it through to Jesus and really the start of my talk this morning about God's journey across cultures is to remind us that Jesus came from heaven which has its own wonderful culture that we're all going to experience one day and he came to be a Jew and live in what is now the nation of Israel and he took on that's what we celebrate at Christmas and also the rest of the year God took on flesh and he made that, that leap from heaven in all of its glory to join the cultural environment of being a Jew in the first century, as we now know it. So God has already done this. He's already shown how he's willing to go the distance because he really wants to reach us. And today we're talking about how we can then do that. So when God says to us, go and make disciples of all nations, if we're going to take that seriously, then today we're going to be looking at a little bit more of the why and how. And I want to make it practical, so I'm going to try and be quick about the why and then really get to the how part. And I'm hoping, I don't know where God's going to call you. I have an idea where he's calling me. Maybe you have an idea where he's calling you, which area of mission he's calling you to be involved in. Is he calling you to pray for overseas work? Is he calling you to give financially to support people like me who are going out? Is he calling you to go yourselves? Maybe short term, maybe long term. Actually, um, I get um, different mission booklets and one article that I read this week, really encouraging, about retired people who've gone overseas as missionaries. Don't want to freak you guys out, but it was so encouraging because they said, and, and these are people who are, you know, um, obviously retired, so probably 60 plus, they didn't say their ages, um, and, and very, um, you know, looking old, if I can say. <laughs> um, and they said, we actually find um, that there are some benefits of being older because we've had a lot of life experience and we can encourage the young ones who are away from home and they're really scared. And we've done that all before. We've already left home and done other stuff. Um, and one lady said, I actually find I'm not as slow at lear learning languages as I thought I would. I'm keeping up with the young guns. 
and she felt her life experience was benefiting her. So just to encourage you, if you, you know, never say you're too old, because God never says you're too old. In fact, he never says we're too anything. <laughs> you know, too fat, too thin, too old, too young. God doesn't put any of those restrictions on us. So whatever he's calling you to, you can do it, and it's going to be good. So let us start. Ah, yes, this is the beginning of the why, and we've looked at this together. We've looked at God's heart and how it beats for all people. And we, we talked a few weeks ago at the beginning about a picture of heaven with every nation, every tribe, every people, and every language worshipping in front of his throne. And he's looking for, as we shared earlier, he's looking for his sheep. And his sheep are going to come in all colors and sizes, speaking all different languages, and all going to be together. Um, and many of those sheep are still off, lost. And that's our job to go and find them with the Good Shepherd. So why do we make the effort to journey across cultures? And really what I'm talking about today is not... Really what I'm talking about is how we might want to adapt. That, that's what it boils down to. Because you probably know, you can't just sort of rock up in another country and say Jesus loves you in English and then expect that the village is going to turn to the Lord. It doesn't work. <laughs> we know that. Um, so why do we make the effort to adapt ourselves, maybe learn a language? Um, firstly, God wants all peoples in his kingdom. And he made a big effort to come to us. If you think about it like that, if you think about Jesus. And so we can make the same effort in his power, not in our own. Also, Jesus didn't practice what we call extraction evangelism. That's what we used to do in the Victorian days. Um, and it's, you know, it still has a legacy in, in many countries around the world. And it's, it's wrong, actually. You know, your, your culture is evil, all of it. Thinking about India, um, Hinduism, obviously worshipping other gods is wrong. But not everything about Indian culture is wrong, by no means. Some of it's beautiful. Um, but what, what we, the church, has done in the past is say, okay, your culture is all wrong because you're all idol worshippers. You need to come out of that culture. I'm going to extract you, and I'm going to put you over here in this Christian culture where you've got to change your name because your name is maybe the name of a, an idol, Ganesh, let's say. Uh, you've got to change your name, and you're going to become Gary or John. Um, and... And that legacy continues, and you know there are many wonderful worshippers of Jesus who've come through that tradition um, and have names like John Abraham's a famous Bollywood actor, actually, John Abraham. Um, probably his ancestors uh, might have been Hindus, and then they got reached with the gospel, but they were told, you can't keep your name because it's evil. Now we think that's crazy, but there are some ways in which that thinking can still remain a little bit. So I'm here to help us see a different way, maybe challenge us a little bit and think, what is really crucial for reaching someone with the gospel? And how much of it can we just strip away and say it's not important? You know, um, how do we know Jesus didn't practice extraction evangelism? One story I want to highlight to you, um, it's from Matthew, fi uh, sorry, Mark 5, when Jesus traveled over the lake, someone can help me with the name of the lake, probably Galilee, and uh, with his disciples, and they went to Samaria. 
which was a foreign land for the Jews. Never went to Samaria, didn't like it. And they ended up, uh, as they, in fact, just landed the boat on the shore, there was a crazy guy there. Do you remember the story? And he was um, possessed by a whole legion of demons. They even spoke and said, we're called legion because there's so many of us. Let's think about a thousand demons. Can you imagine how messed up the guy was? They put him in chains and he was so powerful because of these demons that he broke out of the chains. He would never stay clothed. He used to to rip his clothes off. And he basically lived in caves outside the village because he terrorized people. He couldn't control himself. So he was um, plagiarizing others. But he was also in a mess himself. And Jesus cast out the demons, all of them. All thousand of them. Because he's powerful enough to do that. I'm just going to pause there and say any problem in your life, in the lives of people that you know, that you love, an actual demon or another demon, something that, that you're struggling with, a bad habit, an addiction, Jesus can deal with it. He is powerful enough. And this story is amazing because the guy was so messed up, so bound, a thousand demons, couldn't keep his clothes, couldn't physically keep his clothes on. And Jesus set him free. And the villagers came to see what all the fuss was about. And they found the man clothed and sitting at the feet of Jesus calmly. An absolute miracle. And then, this is the part that's important for our message today. The guy begged Jesus, let me come with you. Because he'd found his Lord, his master. He got set free. He wanted to be a disciple of Jesus with him and hang around with the other disciples in Judea. And Jesus said, no, go back and tell your own people. And the guy did. He went back into the Decapolis, which means 10 cities or 10 towns. So here is a guy who's been set free, who's met Jesus in an incredible encounter. He's had his life totally transformed, wants to go and hang around with Jesus. And Jesus says, no, you've got to go back to your own people and tell them what I've done for you. And so he goes all around the 10 cities and preaches or shares, maybe not even preaches, maybe just says, this is what this is what I was and this is what I am. And it's all because of Jesus. And I can't remember if it even tells us in the Bible, but I bet there were people in the 10 cities who started to revere the name of Jesus because of that man's story, especially people who knew him before. So this is why... I'm convinced that we don't have to pull people out of their culture and put them in our culture, which is not perfect either, (laughs) as I'm sure you're aware. People can stay in their culture and worship Jesus and be 100% bona fide disciple of Jesus within their culture. And that gives them a greater opportunity to witness to their friends and family and the 10 cities around them. So if Jesus didn't practice extraction evangelism, then neither should we. So that means we have to go. If we're not going to pull people out, we've got to go. And then also, um, Paolo shared wonderfully two weeks ago about the story of Peter and Cornelius. And Peter having a vision of the sheet and all of these things that he wasn't supposed to eat as a Jew. And the Lord commanded him, kill and eat. And he said, Lord, I can't. These are disgusting. 
and I've always been, you know, to inverted commas, I've always been a good boy. I've never broken the rules. I've never eaten anything that I shouldn't have. And here, God totally changes his mind, gives him a totally new thought and says, don't call anything unclean that I'm calling clean. And sometimes we can look at other cultures and we can look at them through eyes that say evil and unclean. And God isn't condemning every culture like that. Yes, there are things that are evil. Idol worship, obviously. Child labor, obviously. But there are things like that in our own culture as well. So, so if the Holy Spirit, as he did with Cornelius, is prepared to come upon people who eat pork, which was the situation for the Gentiles, then he's going to be prepared to come upon all sorts of people. And he does, and he has, across all nations. So we see that God has a heart for all nations, that Jesus went to people, he didn't pull them out of their culture, and the Holy Spirit fills all people who believe in Jesus and are saved by grace. Therefore, when we go to other nations, we need to preach Jesus and not Jesus plus. Jesus is the gospel of how how we can be saved and set free is because of what Jesus has done for us by dying and rising again and the Holy Spirit that he gives us to empower us. Jesus plus is all the other stuff like, I mean, there are so many things, but you should have a Christian name, um, have, do a quiet time, read the Bible every morning, go to church. That's actually Jesus plus, believe it or not, because we don't get saved by going to church. And in many cultures in the world, people worship at home. So this is where we have to think, okay, what is the gospel actually? What am I taking to people? Obviously, fellowship is important. In some cultures, it's much more natural for them to fellowship at home, gather people together. And that is church for them. It's not in a church building. But if we look at it differently, they're still worshiping with other believers. It's still church. It just doesn't look the way that we would feel church should look they don't play guitars oh my gosh no keyboards obviously that's not a problem for God but sometimes we get caught and we end up thinking that the gospel is actually all of this stuff and being a Christian is you know all of this plus 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 and it's not so how do we how do we then take that step to say okay I want to reach this culture with the gospel of Jesus. I don't want to bring my own Western culture and dump it on them, nor do I want to pull them out and say, you've got to be like me. Can you imagine? Terrible. <laughs> you don't have to be like me. You have to be like you with Jesus. So the first step is getting to know them. And what I want to present to you this morning is something that hopefully will work in the UK, in your very neighborhood, as well as going to Indonesia, India, Cambodia and places that we go. The first thing, if you want to reach someone with the gospel, is get to know who they are. It's the same for an individual, and it's the same for an entire people group. How do we do that? We ask questions. You know, one of the things I was taught when I moved to India as a, as a missionary in 2007 was to come in as a learner, not as someone who knows everything and has the answer. Yes, I've, I know Jesus, but that's really because of 
his wonderfulness and not because of my <laughs> wonderfulness. So I've got nothing to boast about. And I'm going to come into this new culture as someone who wants to learn. Tell me what's important to you. I mean, I might not actually say it like that, but that's my attitude, is I want to learn what's important for you, what makes you tick. How do you eat? <laughs> How do you greet somebody? What are the values that you have? And you can find out so much just by asking. And if it's a, a person who's a neighbor, let's say, they might even be English, but we have many subcultures, even in Norwich, don't we? Your family culture might be quite different from the family culture of the person that lives right next door to you. Even the way that you sit up to table and eat might be different to that family who sits up and eats a different way or doesn't sit up and eat. Eats in the living room. Eats um, separately instead of together. There are so many different permeations, so many different nuances, some things that we feel are really important. You know, the right way to parent your kids and maybe the family next door really feels that they know the right way to parent kids and it's totally different. And how do we build a bridge between my values, your values? You just find out. Just ask questions. Find out what's important to that person. And most of it is Jesus plus. It's mostly not essential for being saved by grace. So then we don't have to get upset about those things. It's just interesting to learn. When we understand them a bit, ah, didn't want it to do that actually, but it's okay. Um, when we understand them a bit, then we want to speak a language that they will understand. Um, it sounds really obvious, but obviously if I go to Indian speak in English, only a certain percentage of the population will understand my message. And even people who've learned English, it might not speak to their heart. So I want to speak to them in Hindi or Kumauni. Even with your neighbor, and we talked about this in the sharing your faith course earlier in the summer, even with your neighbor who's maybe not from a church background, if you talk to them about being washed in the blood of the lamb, it's a different language. They, they really don't know what you're going on about when you're talking about lambs. And being washed in blood sounds really awful, potentially. Um, we understand it, and sometimes we love it because of the symbolism. But that's, that's quite far away from normal language that, that an unchurched person might, might be trying to grapple with. You know, what does it mean to be washed in the blood of the lamb? Let's just use different language. Let's talk about how Jesus loves them and wants the best for their life, wants them to be free, wants them to be free from sin, how we can get forgiven. These are words that people generally understand. Um, and I was um, thinking about this morning, I was thinking, gosh, we've got harvest and we've got cross-cultural mission. These are really two separate issues. How am I gonna tie these together? And I was talking to mum and she said, well, when you feed the poor in another country, you don't feed them the stuff that we eat. Pasta. You're not going to go to South Sudan and give them a, a kilo of pasta with pesto, which is my favorite food. <laughs> because they don't, that doesn't make any sense to them. That's not their staple diet. That's not what they need, and it's not what they can understand. And they won't feel loved, necessarily. It doesn't meet their needs, and they won't feel loved because you're not giving them something that they can really take in. They might not even be able to eat it. 
So it's very similar, actually. When we think about feeding the poor, we actually want to feed them in a way that blesses them. We have understood that you guys eat rice, and we want to provide you with that, with your staple. Um, obviously, in cases of severe malnutrition, there are other things like peanuts um, that they've used. But in terms of just staple diet, it's going to be rice. It's going to be um, yams or whatever. So now I'm going to ask my dad to come up. I have, I have prepared him only as far as he's happy to stand on the stage with me, but he doesn't know what's going to happen. So if you can, thanks, Dad. If you can come up, I need to grab my handy bag over here. You thought this bag only had sheep in. It does have sheep in and a goat, but now let's just imagine, Dad, you're feeling chilly and, and you can't find your gilet or your coat or your jacket or anything. And I say, don't worry, Dad, I've got something that you can use if you're feeling chilly. Now, give me your normal reaction to this item. I should have grabbed the microphone at this point so you can hear him. Righty-ho. So. Uh, this is fine. Um, I'm not quite sure what to do with it. Uh, do I put it on my head, round my neck? <laughs> well, you could. Or um, you could maybe... Blanket? It's, it's actually a shawl. A shawl, brilliant. Put it so on. So you could actually yeah. sort of drape it yeah. around. See, I don't normally do this sort of thing. Uh, put it over the head like this, maybe. Is that right? Yeah, do you think How's that? that? Yeah? That's nice and warm. Okay. <laughs> now, hopefully this is illustrated. Dad was cold, and I gave him something that's not from his culture, and he can't really understand. I mean, you've done a good job there, actually. Thank you. Yeah. But he, um, he couldn't 100% really fully um, understand how to make proper use of it, and I thought you were very generous, really, because you might have said, you might have just rejected it totally and said, I can't wear this. Thanks. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> so we, it's the same with the gospel message. We want, to, we want to give it to people in a way that they can take in, in a way that's familiar, in a way that they can understand that makes sense to them. Huh. There we are. And here I'm just showing how people in how men in India wear shawls in the winter. I don't know if you can make out, there's a couple of guys walking along, each wearing a shawl. You didn't think men wore shawls, they do in India. And there's even a guy riding his bicycle with milk cans and also wearing a shawl. It is a, it's a staple, but, but obviously it's not part of our culture. And you might think it's more of a ladies' item. This one was actually a man's, but I like it. Um, and here we can also mention the work of Wycliffe. And I know people are, are aware that the Wycliffe Bible Society translates the Bible into people's own language, people's heart language. Um, and I've got a friend who's, um, who's had to leave India, lost his visa, because uh, they found out he was preaching the gospel, basically. So he got his, him and his family had to leave India, but he's gonna continue spreading the gospel among the unreached by working on Bible translation. And um, he said that there are still something like 2,000 2, languages or peoples that don't have the Bible in their own language. So that's, it's an amazing thing. Um, how else then? Okay, 
So we've got to know them. I lost, left off the first point there. We, we want to speak a language that they understand, whether in this country or another country. Then we want to use their cultural forms, not ours. Because our cultural forms, they're nice, but they're not part of the gospel. That's the Jesus plus part. Um, so our music type of environment, um, having a pulpit, even having a person standing up and other people sitting on chairs, this isn't how they do it in India, for example. We all sit on the floor. We all take our shoes off. And everybody sits, um, yeah, just sits cross-legged on the floor of all ages. So um, unfortunately, if you feel like it's a bit bad for your back, <laughs> they just still sit on the floor and somehow manage it. So it's not important for the gospel that everyone sits on chairs, right? It's obvious. Um, but I'm just showing you how, you know, we want to reach other people. Um, we've got to think about these things. Because if, if we just go on default, we're going to import our NCBC culture to another nation, and it's going to be hard for them to grasp. What we really want to be doing is building bridges. Um, now, have a look at this picture, especially the one on the left is clearer, f the one on the right is clearer for you. This is an, uh, a Kumauni Hindu wedding. Are there any cultural forms that you can see that you think could be used? Let's say the, the girl and the boy um, get married and they're believers in the Lord Jesus and they don't want to do the ritual. So obviously, bottom left-hand corner, that's the idol worship part, that's the ritual part. We can't include that. But is there anything else that you could say to a Kumauni believer, you can still keep your own culture and have a cultural wedding and be a follower of Jesus. What about the clothes that they're wearing? It's okay, isn't it? It's neutral. It's loads of things that are actually neutral. Um, and and in India's a good, I just use India because that's what I know really well. There are so many other examples around the world, but um, Hindus get married in red. Obviously, we get married in white, and Indian Christians generally get married in white. Christians, by which I mean part of the Christian culture, not Hindu culture. So if you're a Hindu culture person who's now be believing in Jesus, and you want to stay within your own culture, so that, like the man who was freed of the demons, you want to reach your own ten cities, you don't have to wear white. White is actually for funerals in this community. So you're not going to get married wearing white. It doesn't make sense. So yeah, obviously, we say to our Kumauni believers from a Hindu background, of course you can marry in red. Does it make sense? Mm. Um, and there's the dancing as well. Men wearing frilly skirts. It's okay. I love it, actually. It's one of my... One of my favorite things about Kumani culture is the, the wedding dances. Um, so I mentioned earlier, we want to build bridges. One way you, that we build bridges as people who want to share the gospel is by showing that we're kind of the same. And maybe we'll take on aspects of that culture because we want to make it easy for people to worship. So I've been racking my brains to try and think about what that could mean in the UK, because it's not my—I'm not very used to 
sounds a bit funny, but I'm not very used to sharing the gospel in this country. I'm more used to sharing the gospel abroad. But essentially, um, if you have a family that you really want to get close to, and they are absolutely mad on rugby, and I actually have a friend who's doing this, so it's a good example. She doesn't really like rugby, but all of her colleagues watch rugby. So she says, I try to keep up with it. Because she wants to have a link. She wants a bridge. She wants some way of always having something to talk about with her colleagues. It's an example. But it just shows, it doesn't mean you're changing who you are. On the other hand, we all change all the time. We change our preferences. You know, you can, you can like rugby today and football tomorrow. That's okay. That's not, it doesn't mean that you're totally changing yourself. <laughs> we can take things on. We can develop new hobbies. We do all throughout life. So you don't have to totally change the essence of who you are, but you might find that you want to start watching Bear Grylls because, you know, your neighbor really loves Bear Grylls and you want to have that bridge to talk to them about it. Um, and for me, obviously, when I go to another country, then the clothing is really important. And the clothing will take me on to my second point, which is about not burning bridges. This is actually a really warm shawl, so I'm going to take it off now. <laughs> it's quite effective. Um, what I'm wearing here, you may be surprised to know, is my new uh, top that I have bought for going to Indonesia. Now you say, well, it looks very English. It is. That's very happy for me that I can wear it in two places. What I found when I was planning for the trip was that none of my, not none, but let's say 85% of my t-shirts are not suitable. Uh, because you put your hand up and you show your armpit, and that is not good culturally. So part of my way of honoring the people of Indonesia that I'm going to meet in November is that I have gone out and bought myself tops with longer sleeves because that's culturally appropriate. Happily for me, I can also wear it in the UK, but you know, at some point I'm gonna buy things that I probably won't ever wear here, but I, but I need them to honor that people. It's about respecting their culture. It's about coming in and building a bridge and being like them so that when I say, there's a guy called Isa al-Masih, Jesus the Messiah, which is what they call him, Isa al-Masih, then they will look at me and see, yeah, a white person, but not somebody totally different. They might see one or two similarities and it might be easier for them to hear my message. So that's building bridges. Burning bridges would be the opposite. It would be me going in a strappy top <laughs> and shorts and wanting to share the gospel. But because I look totally immoral, obviously it's a judgment, it's cultural, in this country, it's fine to wear tops, strappy tops and shorts. And nowadays, nobody thinks anything of it. They may have done 100 years ago. But in many cultures, that's considered immoral. And people will think all sorts of things about me and, you know, goodness knows what on earth I'm doing with the rest of my time. <laughs> and I don't want to burn bridges. So even though, and this is where we get back to the passage that Paul said, I have made myself a slave to all men. That's what it means. It means I'm going to put myself under certain cultural rules that I don't have to follow because I'm free. But I'm going to choose not to be free. I'm going to choose to subject myself to um, Indonesian cultural 
norms because I don't want to burn bridges. And that is more important to me. It's my freedom is less important. It's more important to me that when I speak, people trust me. And they look at me and they don't see a really immoral person who's totally different from them, but they see somebody who respects their culture and somebody who might be a good person. It gives me the potential to speak words of life that they can then take on. And uh, it's not, I mean, obviously I'm using an example that's um, very relevant for me, but it's the same in this country when we have subcultures. We can judge people, they can judge us. But uh, that's all Jesus plus, to be honest, most of it. Clothing, things we drink and don't drink, things we eat and don't eat, you know. Um, at the end of the day, I'm just about to get to my last point, but I don't want to make sure I haven't missed anything. No. At the end of the day, it all is all about love. And here, um, you can see a lot of people in my living room. This is just an example of how I um, used Indian, well, Kumaoni Hindu, I'd say, specific to that region, Kumaoni Hindu cultural norms. Um, to worship in a way that made sense to them. So the little picture on the left is my temple where I lit the oil lamp. Um, for many years I did it every morning and every evening, which is a ritual. And I chose to do that because I wanted to worship in a way that made sense to my neighbors. And many of my neighbors would light the oil lamp to their gods and goddesses every morning, every evening, and they were totally committed to that. And I wanted people to look at me and say, here is a spiritual person. Here is a person with morals. I was free, I didn't have to do that. And sometimes it was a bind, to be honest. Um, and in the beginning, it felt quite ritualistic. And guess what? The more I did it and the more I put my heart into it, now it feels like home because it's become a form that I'm very comfortable with. And you can move, um, I've been in different churches throughout my life and I'm very grateful for all of them. You can worship in different styles with more formal services, with less formal services, and it's really about the heart. Um, so I can now light the oil lamp and I can say, Jesus, I worship you, the light of the world. You are the light of the world. You're the light of this place. Let your light shine in this neighborhood. Um, and I don't know really if you can see clearly on the bottom right, but basically I'm not in that picture. <laughs> and that's just to show that having first led worship services in as local a way as I could manage, because it's not possible to change completely, um, but you know, do you do what you can by the grace of God. And having shown, okay, I can worship God with the Indian drum, sitting on the floor, cross-legged, speaking Hindi, singing Hindi, then we've given them a, a model. And now in the, the bottom right, you see that there's a local believer who's leading the worship on the drum. And so that's why, that's why it's worth it. <laughs> making the effort to build a bridge and not burn bridges, making the effort to share in a language that people understand and to worship in a way that they understand as well. Because then they can imagine themselves. They're like, hey, I could maybe do that too. And that's what it's all about. I want your God and, 
and I can worship too. And that's what's happening now. 44 Kumauni Hindu believers worshiping in their own language, inside their own culture, sharing with their own friends in their own villages, praying for their parents who aren't yet saved. It's special and it's worth every bit of the effort. And it's the same whether it's your neighbor family in the UK or whether it's a people group abroad. So I've talked about several points. The one I want to end on is love. You know, as Paul said, I can, I can speak a thousand tongues. I can even speak the words of angels. Um, and I can play the best music in the world, but if I don't have love, then it just sounds like a clashing cymbal or a noisy gong. And this is where I want to say to you, it doesn't matter if we mess up. <laughs> it doesn't matter if we accidentally do something that is totally inappropriate or we break a value that's important to a friend that we want to reach. We can mess up, but if we've got love in our heart and we truly love them, that just sails right over all the mistakes and love is the thing that, that breaks through. And it's God's love that reaches every person in every nation. And we're called to be vehicles of love. So if you don't remember anything else from this message, just remember that it's God's love that reaches people. And I make it a point to love every person I meet. It's just a discipline. Sometimes you don't feel like it. Sometimes they're so different, even in this country. Like, I don't know how you can possibly think like that. <laughs> but it doesn't matter. I'm going to love you anyway. My life is my message, said Mahatma Gandhi. Great pacifist leader. My life is my message. Let my life be so full of love that people see God, that people see his love in me and they want it more in their own lives. And at the end of the day, whichever culture you go to, we cry and we laugh. That's one thing that I've noticed. And everybody from every culture I've met smiles. We're really the same at the end of the day. There are so many little differences, but again, it's, it's the Jesus and the Jesus plus. Lots of differences, but at the end of the day, we're all people who laugh and cry and experience emotions who get hungry and who need God. We're all the same. And we have the privilege of planting seeds and plowing the field in people's lives by who we are, by how we build bridges with them. And God's the one who makes the seed grow as we sang about in our first song. We plant, we plow, we scatter, we water sometimes if it doesn't rain, um, but it's God who makes the seed grow. And then sometimes we get the privilege of also being harvesters. But as Paul said, it's not up to me which job I do. I'm just going to do whatever's there. I can sow, I can plow, and I can harvest, but it's God who does the growing So I want to end by leading us in a response to this message. 
And it's from, I think it's Isaiah, where God's saying, who will go for me? My people have, have got distant. They're af- apart from me. Who will go? And at first, Isaiah's really afraid, isn't he? And he says, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. And God touches his lips with a coal and says, now you're clean. And then Isaiah's response is, Lord, send me. I will go. What can you do to build bridges with people that you know, either in this country or abroad? And will you get involved in reaching the unreached? In whatever way God calls you, you can pray, you can give, you can go. You can do all three at different times in your life.